Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 306. Can you believe it? 306. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to the woman who wore a protective vest over her ribs so that she could play in the Challenge Cup final last summer. That's defender Megan Oyster. She has played 306 NWSL playoff minutes. Um, That doesn't include the cup, though, but that was two different seasons making the playoffs with the Washington Spirit, also last year with OL Reign. So shout out to you, Megan Oyster. Right, two chats today. This is uh, as we lead up to... The NWSL expansion draft on November 12th. That'll be next Thursday. There will actually be a live stream on Twitch available worldwide for everyone to watch. It'll kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Um, So first, uh, to prep for this, I spoke with Neil Morris. He covers North Carolina Courage. I've talked to Neil before. We talked about um, some Courage-specific issues, of course, uh, the trade Rachel, uh, the trade of Crystal Dunn over to Portland and North Carolina getting Casey Murphy from the rain. Also, Jaylene Daniels' retirement um, looked at their protected list, who they didn't protect, who he thinks they're going to lose in the draft. And, and Neil and I get off on some interesting uh, soccer tangents that I hope you guys will enjoy. Then I chatted with NWSL analyst and, of course, former NWSL player Lori Lindsay. She was actually um, a player selected in the 2009 expansion draft back in the WPS era. She was the first player selected by the Philadelphia Independents by none other, none other than head coach Paul Riley. Uh, so we talked about what it's like to be selected in expansion draft. Um, also talked about who she would pick um, going into this draft and, and what she thought of players in the fall series. So really enjoyed talking to both Neil and Lori. And of course, there's a Jensplainer segment as always. This one again, it's on the expansion draft rules and procedures one more time because I did have an error in last week's Jensplainer. Can you believe it? Uh, So want to make sure it's crystal clear how the expansion draft will proceed next Thursday. And if you're not already following me on Twitter, be sure to follow me at Keeper Notes and or at MixZone, two X's on MixZone. Uh, And please like, subscribe, share this podcast, all those things that I'm supposed to say. All right, Jen Cooper here with Neil Morris, North Carolina soccer writer for WRALsportsfan.com and, of course, Equalizer Soccer. Neil, um, you know, you got to love this offseason, right? Because there's still activity going on. And, and it seems like a lot of it has been North Carolina related. There's always stuff happening. And, yeah, I mean, North Carolina's had to make a few moves uh, in preparation for – well, I mean, a lot of things, <laughs> the the state of the world, the state of certain players, the state of the league. I mean, the, all of those factors are sort of are sort of moving, moving the courage in different directions. And, you know, when you've been the courage, you know, and you've got the the, the, the size of the roster you have, then there's change. And, and certainly that there's been change so far this off season. And I'm quite sure there's going to be a lot more as the months go on. 
Yeah, and um, I know some people have said, and I guess when I mean some people, I'm really talking about Dan Laletta saying, you know, like this could break up North Carolina and they won't be the dynasty they've been. But I feel like, like I never want to sleep on any Paul Riley roster, right? And 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 that's true for a couple of other uh, of our perennial strong clubs where they might not look like how they looked in the past after this year and this expansion draft. But I, yeah, I wouldn't assume just because, you know, Paul Riley doesn't have, you know, eight World Cup players playing for him that uh, they're not going to be a contender. So... I've, I've, and I, I've heard Dan say that before, and for a long time I disagreed with him, and I've said so on, on multiple podcasts, maybe even including yours. <clears throat> I have to say, I, I do think there's been a, a change in one significant, significant regard, and I'll, and I'll get to that in, as I go around the bend to get to my point. Um, I, I don't think you know. I think for a lot of time, I think the the, the consensus was even before the COVID nineteen virus is that the looming expansion was going to break up the courage, and I disagreed with that. Uh, and and even those who thought that Crystal Dunn was eventually going to be traded, even as far back as last year, um, even that I didn't think was going to totally. Uh, upset the the courageous position, but when you start talking about expansion, when you start talking about trades, when you start talking about retirements, apparently, and when COVID nineteen forces some of your best players overseas, yeah, it, it's hard to withstand all of that after a while. And frankly, from the the, the recent conversations I've had with some of the the technical staff with the courage, they admit it's not going to be the way it's always been the last three, four years. We're going to have to be smarter. We're going to have to fight and we're going to have, and it's not going to be a given that of our position in the league. And the point I was eventually going to get to is that the, the crystal Dunn trade, not just the courage losing Dunn, but it, but her eventually landing with the thorns is a huge paradigm shift in the league, and this and, and this is what I mean. For four year, for three or four years running, and I believe it would have been the case this year too. The courage were the odds-on favorite to win the shield and probably right. the championship, but certainly, I mean, if the NWSL had played this year, the courage would have won the shield in a walk. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, even if there's a full season next year. I think Portland is in the driver's seat, and then you've got a bunch of other teams, probably, maybe led by the Courage, that are nipping at their heels. But keeping Haran, keeping Dunn, the younger players they've added, uh, the the money that they're spending and probably are going to spend on on the international market, I think Portland's reasserting themselves. Uh, and if if I was laying odds on a 2021 Shield winner, that that's who it would be. Well, so let's let's look at some of the the big moves. And I know I've talked about some of these on the podcast already, but I really wanted to hear, you know, a, a North Carolina perspective on these. And of course, you know, the, the first one is you know done to Portland, and at the same time picking up Casey Murphy as, as a goalkeeper. So you know, what shift does that signify for Paul Riley's traditional box midfield, but also the goalkeepers? 
<clears throat> well, it, it remains to be seen how it affects the box midfield, and and I think the other the other player decision that we'll talk about in a few minutes may actually have more of an impact on the formation than than Crystal Dunn leaving. Um, but I, you know, I think Paul. You know, you're not going to replace Crystal Dunn. I mean, there is no replacing Crystal Dunn. Um, now, could you keep the same formation, all other things being equal, and find another durable, good number ten? I think that's probably what Paul would do. If, if again, if all other things were being equal. Um, but does it impact the attack? Yeah, it does because Crystal Dunn's great. <laughs> Uh, and 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 without her being in there, it's a it's a major loss, and and again, it affects the depth of the team with players, you know, especially on the courage regularly out for international duty, <clears throat> and and again, it remains to be seen how much of that depth gets further eroded in the expansion draft. Uh, but as far as if you want to continue with the box midfield, I, I think the loss of Dunn does it does it. Uh, eliminate that possibility. Now we'll, we'll return to that subject in a moment. Now, as far as the the goalkeepers are concerned, you know, I t- I tweeted a very cryptic tweet after the Courage last uh, game of the fall series that 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 said uh, the, the, the I, I remember I forget my exact phrasings, but basically I said that the Courage's primary goal for the cost season should be to keep adding depth to certain positions, and I capitalized G O A L K E E P E R. Uh, <laughs> and uh, because on a team that's loaded with talent, the glaring deficit has been goalkeeper for probably two years running. Um, and by the way, this isn't just my opinion. There's there's members of the technical staff who agree with this, and will tell you unprompted. It doesn't mean Steph LeBay is a is a is a bad goalkeeper. She's a very she's a steady, reliable goalkeeper, but. Is she world class like she might have used to be? No, probably not. I don't think anyone believes that. Uh, how much more does she want to play? I don't know. Kate Rowland is just a shadow of her former self, and she finally got some run at the end of the fall series, maybe as a last look see, and, and was just unpleasant to watch. Uh, Sam Murphy, you know, I think there's there's some thought that she's a, a good backup keeper with some talent. Uh, I think maybe the only time she got in the entire year was in an exhibition against the Spirit, and I think they surrendered four goals. So, you know, it was four long fire time at, at goalkeeper, and I think that the Courage felt like that they were bleeding a lot of goals in a lot of games, especially when LeBay was not there. Right. Uh, with the other keepers there and with this load of talent in the outfield, goalkeeper was just a sore, just a, just a sieve. And so going out and picking up somebody like Casey Murphy, I think, was, was not just a, a consolation prize of what can we get because we got to get rid of Crystal Dunn. I think that was a concerted uh, decision, especially once the rain got into the sweepstakes on that whole thing. So, yeah, again, is is it even is is 100 
fifty thousand of allocated money in Casey Murphy, even in the in the constellation of equal value for Crystal Dunn. Heck no. But you solve your most glaring positional issue, which frees up, you know, to to make changes both at that position and maybe protect other players uh, with a with a keeper who is young and and dynamite. Um, so I mean, it's the best you could ask for in that whole situation. I think. Uh, and then you know the other big move impacting you know what is traditionally uh, North Carolina's starting lineup is the announcement this week that Jalen Daniels, formerly Jalen Hinkle, uh, decided to retire. And you had already referenced that that might be have more of an impact on on how the starting lineup looks, how the, how the formation looks. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, look. Crystal Dunn, one of the best players in the world, and there's no replacing Crystal Dunn. But I truly believe that losing, and by the way, the technical staff believes this too, losing Jalen Daniels is far more detrimental uh, to what the Courage want to do than losing Crystal Dunn. Um, Doesn't mean she's better. It just means she's more impactful. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot of of left-footed defenders um, that can, like, send those through balls right like like crystal uh, who, who, can play anywhere jaylene I mean, maybe only a few places but no one else plays like her no one else plays like her nobody can cross the ball like she does and she's one of the few left backs in this league that can actually that that forces the defense to come to her which has always freed up space for lynn williams for Dabinia for Dunn on occasion, maybe even Jess McDonald. I mean, people just can't let Jalen Daniels run unabated up the left flank. They would like to, but every time they do it, she just gets into dangerous positions and kills them. Um, I, I would dare say, and I've thought about this, look, Jalen Daniels is not the, the, the best player on the Courage, but she might be the best player at her position than any other player on the Courage. Um, and, you know, we all know about her off the field uh, issues. Belief. <laughs> yeah. Belief. But that aside, she is a fantastic fullback. I don't know if she's the best in the world, like Paul Riley says, but I, she's top ten. She's top two in the league. Um, you know, her and Casey Short at left back. That's it. And Jalen Daniels is. <laughs> And here's the funny thing: she came into the to the Challenge Cup this year. She, I think, she played almost every minute. Um, she was she was thinner than ever. She was fitter than ever. She was better than ever. Um, I think if this had been a full year, you would have seen her even better than previous years. I heard she's improved her ball handling. Her passing is just other otherworldly on occasion. You know, I, I hate to keep heaping praise on her, but I feel like I have to to make up for the fact that everybody can't stand her for obvious reasons. People lose sight. She is great. And the courage know that she's an enormous loss. And I tweeted in not so much jest that after she announced her retirement. And I, by the way, I'd heard about two weeks before that this might be coming. I was gestating longer than that because I I wondered, you know, Paul Riley, Paul Riley played around with a lot of three back, uh, maybe all three back in the uh, fall series, 
and it made me and Jalen Daniels did not play in the fall series, and it made me wonder: was he prepping for possible? changes to that formation that we were just talking about for a post-Jalene uh, era. Um, I've heard some same things since then that make me think that maybe that's not going to be the case. Um, and maybe we'll, I'll allude to that a little bit later. Well, I'll allude to it now. I think the Courage have a a replacement in mind at left back, a pure left back. It, uh, they didn't tell me the name, but they gave me a description, and I, I by process of elimination, I think I know who it is. It's an international. <laughs> it's an international. Uh, she's older, which I find interesting, and we'll revisit that topic when we get to the expansion draft. Um, but but she's a name, and and I think she would be the kind of player that that the courage would like to have. Is she going to be as good as Jaylene? Probably not. Um, but but the fact that they're picking this player up tells me that maybe they're going to uh, stick with the formation. So now we've got the protected list for the expansion draft. Um, finally got to see, you know, the 11 players for each team that are protected. Of course, Chicago doesn't have to protect any given the trade deal that they did with Louisville. But when you first saw the list for North Carolina's protected players, were you surprised? Was any name that stood out as like, wow, they're not protected, or wow, they are protected? Well, you know, I tweeted last night that the I got a, a sneak peek at the list yesterday uh, because I'd reached out. I was actually curious who might be on it. And it was the fact that it was so unsurprising was actually surprising. Uh, <laughs> and, nice. and, I'll, and I'll tell you what I mean in just a second. The, the, you know, when it comes to the courage, you know they got a deep a deep team, but you know the first yeah. nine names are are easy. The first nine to protect out of the eleven, it's Mewis and Dahlkamper as your allocated, and then is Dabinia, Lynn Williams, uh, Abby Ursig, Denise O'Sullivan, uh, Kristen Hamilton, Casey Murphy, uh, and Haley Mace. Those were the givens. Um, the Mayor Mathias would usually be a given. Um, and she, and I think she was this year. I had a little bit of questions that she's hit 30 and is going to be coming off of that ACL injury a couple of years ago. But I, I, I get the sense that that wasn't even a, a thought for the courage. And I can understand that. The, the only one that I had a little bit of question about me was Jessica McDonald. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have thought, you know, Jess is 32 now and I would have thought, Maybe you leave her unprotected because number one, how much longer is she going to play? Right. Number two, number two, she's kind of settled in Raleigh, and would she even go anywhere else at this point? And she might tell right. Louisville, "Don't bother." And if you don't leave McDonald protected, then I had all of these other groups of possible players that essentially boiled down to protecting either, either Addison Merrick or Lauren Millet. Um, there's some other talent, but there's all sorts of reasons not to to spend a, a protection pick on the likes of Ali Watt or uh, or or Havana Salon or something yeah. like that. I think it comes down to Merrick and Malay. And the response that I got, and again, this is this issue is actually a jumping off point to a much more interesting discussion about the courage and one that that changed my viewpoint on their immediate future. The response I got when I questioned McDonald is, 
number one, she still scores a lot of goals. <laughs> and number two, if you the, the, the statement was, if we're losing Dunn and Daniels and then McDonald on top of that, you're starting to lose the identity of your team. That's a bridge too far. And then the third point was, she's still good and we got to win now. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And what what surprised me about that is, you know, the the picking up of Casey Murphy and maybe weeding out some of the older keepers, some of the younger players that they cultivated through the Challenge Cup and the Fall Series, the trade for Haley Mace. It looked as if the courage, and I had had some confirmation of this, were slowly moving the pieces around and using this ch- this time of upheaval as a chance to rejuvenate to bring in some younger talent for the inevitable loss of the older players. Um, and I thought that's where they were going. And I thought, you know, leaving someone like McDonald is as wonderful and as good as she is might be uh, a thing to do. And by the way, on the not reporting thing, I think the, the, the consensus was that McDonald may not want to leave, but Louisville has a lot of money to throw around, and they may just make it worth her while to, to go if they picked her up. Um, what was interesting in the discussion that I had based on the McDonald thing and a few other things that I was told is the Courage are not in a rebuilding mode, or at least that's not their mindset, which I thought they were gradually moving into that or at least refurbishing or or renewing. <laughs> no, it's, Upgrading. it is the move that they're going to go is win now. Uh with a, maybe a few younger players, but some older players. Um I think they're almost assured. I was just reading Dan Laletta's mock draft, and he sort of thought that it would be that Malay and and Kurtz would be the ones to go. I think the Courage are almost totally convinced they're going to lose Merrick and Malay. Um, And maybe they've been told that in conversations with Louisville, but uh, which I, I, I hate them losing Lauren Malay. I think the club is, hates more losing Addison Merrick, <laughs> um, but I suspect that that's who's, who's going to go. And those are their two best young, young, young players who are currently healthy. Um, they're going to be gone. You're going to keep your older players. Uh, and I and the new talent that they're wanting to bring in, and they're they're trying to make a lot of moves, which I'm glad to hear. You know, I talked about the left back for as a possible Daniels replacement. She's on the she's on the north side of thirty. I've been told. Um, there's another significant name player <laughs> that I think they're on the cusp of acquiring by trade, who is not young. <laughs> um, there, there's a free agent out there who used to be in the league, who's been playing over in Europe, who is not old, but you know she's got a little bit of tread on the tires. She's probably mid twenties. Who they're also going to pick up? Um, this is not a starting over team. Um, and the other thing that I that I was got a lecture on, and this is also interesting, <laughs> and I think there may be a, a lot of teams in this boat, is. 
the, the courage are thinking Moneyball. <laughs> if you ever saw the movie, you know we can't replace yeah. Giambi for we can't replace Giambi. We have to replace him in the aggregate. Well, that's kind of the way they're looking at replacing Daniels and Dunn. Um, and the other, th- they have to be smart with their money for two, one obvious reason and one very interesting reason. Uh, one is that they don't have the same amount of funds that a Portland does. That's right. just a, that's a function of ownership. But the other thing is that, and I've been I've, people have been telling me this since last year when the allocation money construct was set up. You bring in some Nor- Norwegian international who's twenty four years old and pay her one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You're going to screw up your locker room. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of people going, what? She's making what? And I'm making what? And I want this. And next thing you know, you've got a major problem on your hands. You know, I was I was, I was, was jokingly asking someone about, you know, the first pick next year's draft, maybe, you know, Katerina Macario. And somebody, someone told me, no, I, I wouldn't even want to do that, no matter how great she is. She's going to want $150,000. I'm not going to pay a 20-year-old $150,000 and kill my locker room and yeah. my budget. So that's the way they're looking at it. I think they're looking for affordable players who fit their the Paul Riley style of play, who they think will get along with the locker room, who will add value. Uh, and I think they're making some interesting moves. But the notion that they're going to – and they're going into the international market, but not to bring in some high-priced, high-name. They're not going to do that. They're looking for strategic buys uh, to to plug and play, and you know, it served them well. You know, <laughs> you know the internationals that they've acquired, or one way or another over the years, have not been high priced buys, uh, and and they've they've turned out well. So that is the direction the courage are going in, not the one I thought they were going in a month or two ago. I think what? that they have they are they're heading in a, in another more direct attention because I think they know if they don't they're just going to get swamped by the other teams that are improving especially the Thorns. And I think we've seen that with some other clubs namely Washington and also Houston uh you know Washington now has no US allocated players right they were down to just Rose Lavelle for for Challenge Cup you know Houston having none and you know kind of building off that hey you don't have the the possible locker room d- disruption of here's a couple of big stars and nobody else is right like kind of similar to what you're talking about of hey if you bring in this big star that does you know upset the balance of, of things. And, and I also think there's a hidden calculus of, you know, we are coming into a, an Olympic year, fingers crossed that, you know, that the Olympics get to happen where you know that there's going to be a lot of players missing for a big chunk, right? So I would think holding on to Jessica McDonald, um, you know, she's got a chance to make the Olympic roster, but when it's 18 players instead of 23, like yeah. the World Cup, and we know that Flacco has been looking at other players, you know, it's like we didn't have a, a big group of retirements like Williams. we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, I, I can, I can see the thinking behind using a protected slot on Jess. Yeah. 
But, I mean, I understand it. It's just not the way I thought they were going, especially when you could have used one of them on one of those younger players you really liked. But that's that's not their approach. You know, maybe we're talking the same thing. You know, bringing in a star player is not the issue, and bringing in a U.S. allocated player is not the issue. That's that's not a problem. <clears throat> Nor is burning some of your allocated money on the people who are clearly stars but not allocated, like the courage right. of. The courage of signed this year to both Dabinia and Lynn Williams to allocated contracts. Nobody's going to bat an eye about that. It's when you bring in some youngster or some unproven international or somebody else and dip into the allocated money, and then all of a sudden you have and – and, and I'm not saying they've done this, but I'm just going to use you know examples. Somebody like Abby Ursig or Kristen Hamilton or, or Jalen Daniels if she was there – or Merritt Mathias, if she's healthy, all of us, or Denise O'Sullivan for sure. All of a sudden, they look and say, "Do what now?" <laughs> <laughs> and that replicates itself. And and the, the courage who have managed locker room culture better than anybody in this league are very attuned to that, and they believe things can spiral massively if you just start handing money to everybody. Then everybody's going to want it, and or everybody's going to want to get out of town. So. Yeah. And and I think that that's an important um, nuance that you pointed out, that it's not really the allocated players. It's the unknown or basically betting the farm on bringing in one player when you already have a lot of established players. Right. That it's like right. that that locker room chemistry is, is key because every team has the potential to be great or be horrible. So it's really managing those intangibles. Um, in terms of getting the best from your group and, and, you know, getting them to buy into the overall concept. And we've heard all the, all the great talk from, from Paul Riley over these last several seasons, right. And, and the different mottos each season. And it's like, you can tell he knows how to run a locker room. We saw it in WPS uh, as well, right. Like taking an expansion team all the way to the final, you know, it's first year, you know, Right. And that's why, you know, I get a kick out of people who say, we think Sam Buis will come back to North Carolina. Well, yeah, it's just a matter of when. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody on Twitter the other day asked, you know, what's the best way to make sure Sam Buis comes back to North Carolina? I said, keep Paul Riley. That's the answer. Because if he's here, she's coming back. Now, I don't. The earliest it would be is May of 21, and that's if everything's going right in the world. And even then, if the Olympics are on the horizon, yeah, who knows how long, how much you you you'd have her. I think it's assured that if Paul is still here, she'll be back in 2022, maybe by May. Still a long time, but. No, I remember when she signed for Man City, folks were like, I can't believe the Courage are going to keep her rights like that. And and then they asked Sam in in a press conference for the Man City signing, you know, what do you think about the Courage keeping your rights? And she was like, I hope they do. I want to go back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They I mean, better keep my rights. I mean, people don't understand the cult. People, first off, they don't understand the relationship between Sam and Paul Riley, and number two, they don't understand the, the nature of that locker room. You know, everybody, Denise O'Sullivan's alone and for Brighton. Oh my God, what's going? Denise O'Sullivan's coming back. 
No doubt about it. She uh, just I can't already, tell you. I she's can't just tell you. in Europe. Right, she's only in Europe right now because tra- she wants to play for the Na- Ireland national exactly. team and, and travel wouldn't allow her to shuttle back and forth. That's the deal. I can't tell you how many people I, I've had to explain to, and, and I wish I could, you know, get this message out to everybody. Um, you know, people I know that like pay attention to the dash or pay attention to NMSL and they're thought I was like, what's happening? And I'm like, look, if you're a European player, there's European qualifying going on right now. You can't be flying back and forth. Alone no. makes sense. So you can get games. So you stay in match shape and you can still play for your national team because they're trying to qualify for the Euro. Ireland has never done that. That's huge for Denise, right? Mewis, it totally made sense. Her her and Lavelle, it, it's like they're young. They need a different experience. This is the perfect time for them to go they when they're there. Yeah, they need reps, but they're, they're not missing any national team stuff. They're getting more games than if they had stayed with NWSL. And those were both players that, that played in, in the Challenge Cup, right? They, they stuck with yeah. their teams, but it's like they, they need... They need games, right? Like, I feel like Heath and Press are, are a little different because they're older. They're both past thir- 30. For them, it was more, this is the last chance I have to do this, right? And all of those contracts, like you said, end, you know, next May. So they, all of them ostensibly could be back, right? But the bulk of them were really loans. I kept telling people, like, all these people that the loan ends in December, January, February, right? Like that's, this is, it's all temporary. And I even saw, I was watching one of the um, WSL broadcasts um, and the announcer said, he goes, yeah. And WSL, Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't a WSL. It was, it was the FA cup final last weekend. And they're like, and WSL was decimated and all the players had to come over here. I'm like, excuse me, decimated. Like okay, a little over dramatic, but yeah, like well, that's probably the same announcer yeah. who said that Sam Ewis used to be a striker at PSG. So <laughs> probably, probably. Well, so a little bit more North Carolina talk, but but slightly different from just talking about the courage. I want to also get your thoughts on that area as kind of like one of our soccer hotbeds because uh, they just announced that the the College Cup. Um, that that's getting moved to May will still be in Cary, you know, at the home of the Courage and North Carolina FC. Um, and then also we're not far away from Charlotte, you know, their MLS team, um, you know, finally getting going. So it, it, it's like, how have you seen with, you know, North Carolina? It'll be four years in January since Western Arc Flash was sold and moved to North Carolina. So it, that was already a place where we knew there was a lot of great soccer, right? College Cup had been there so many times. You know, with Wake Med Park, you know, we, we've seen both men and women's national team play there. But how have you seen the the club and especially I love having that you have North Carolina FC and Carolina courage together, right. Um, as one club, how has that really helped the soccer community in that area? Oh my goodness. I know that's kind of an essay question. Well, (laughs) it's also one that could occupy an entire discussion by itself. You know, it's, it's a, it's a tougher question to answer this year because everything's been impacted by the pandemic. So it's hard to really even gauge how either team has progressed or regressed uh, this year. Um, I've, I've talked before how the men's team 
you know, for whatever reason, uh, maybe a lack of money or a lack of whatever has, has been bleeding sort of attendances the last, well, they've been bleeding attendances year over year since the courage arrived. Um, and I don't know if that's just because there's not as much sort of excitement around the men's team. I don't know if the, the play for MLS, you know, set up where anything short of that looks like a failure, which was a lot of people's worry about how that might impact the, the D2 men's team. Uh, or, you know, if there's just a finite amount of energy and and expendable funds to go to soccer games and and the the the, the courage have the juice and the the men's team doesn't because the courage is attended has attendance has been much better uh so as the overall impact i mean the I'll say this much. I mean, the courage of going from being a who to, you know, if I tell people I write for soccer and I cover a women's team and people will say, oh, yeah, the courage. It's gotten to that point. People know who they are, which is progress. Um, you know, how MLS Charlotte's going to impact that? Who knows? I mean, they're don't get me started on them. But I'm sure that'll be great for the <laughs> soccer fans in Charlotte. Uh so what what is Charlotte relative to Raleigh Durham? I mean, like it's it's not a Houston Dallas situation, is it? Well, I mean, if you talk to MLS, they're you would think they're twenty minutes apart, but they're actually about two two and a half hours apart. So it's not the same thing. Not um, the same area. Okay, good to know. No, it's not. But it, but it's area. not a hate. It's not a like. You know, because you really have a South Texas versus North Texas kind of love hate well, hate there, relationship. There's quite a rivalry between Raleigh and 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 Charlotte. And oh, good. A, there, there's a nice simmering dislike between the two. Trust me, especially among oh, good. soccer fans. Um. Now I don't know what the future is going to hold. You know, the the the, the what was. You know, one of the moves you know that tried that Steve Malik and and some local developers tried to start a, a year or two ago was this down south downtown South project in the southern part of of Raleigh where they were going to put in a soccer stadium, and that's just kind of gone way on the back burner and way under the radar with the pandemic um, such that most people just kind of forgot about it. But then I saw this week that the Raleigh City Council approved a measure authorizing the city manager to come up with a proposal on a a tax increment funding mechanism for the downtown south project which i know has been a goal of those developers for over a year is to get a, a tiff or a tig so if that happens this thing's back on the move now you know are we looking at a stadium in a year heck no it may not be four or five years but there's still movement afoot and so yeah i i hate the fact that the pandemic sort of put a i the pandemic put a dent in a lot of markets. <laughs> um, I think it put a dent in the ongoing momentum of the courage. I think from a more woso macro point of view, I know you know fans throughout the league are, don't have any sympathy for the courage, but the one thing I do hate is that we were seeing a, a, a mini dynasty uh, at one of the best teams, I think, in American soccer history. Um, and they were poised for another great year that's been lost. 
Um, and it may not ever be the same again for all the reasons we've talked about in this conversation. Uh, even if they're really good or, or even borderline great, it's still not going to be the same. They're not going to be setting goal and wins records. Um, so, you know, maybe that's not applicable to the market itself, although if, if the courage ever wane, I do wonder about their marketability and attendance at that point. We ha- Here's the thing, Jen. The one thing we haven't seen in the Raleigh market in, in vis-a-vis professional soccer since the courage arrived is a bad team. The, the the market has grown to embrace and 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 lend energy to a team that has been great from the moment they arrived. What we have not seen is a mediocre or even average team and how the market reacts to that, especially a women's soccer team. Who knows how that plays out? And eventually, you know, just the life cycle of, of soccer, that's going to happen at some point. And so when that happens, and as in, and this is a really another discussion, and as the league starts making very bullish moves into bigger markets like L.A. and maybe. <laughs> uh, he says and, with an attitude. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get something off my chest. Okay, do it. Go for it. You know, when Crystal Dunn was traded – you know, there was all kinds of tweets, and then the Portland tweeted, you know, welcome, Crystal. And Lisa Baird, the commissioner of the league, retweeted that and said, congratulations, Crystal Dunn. And I've been thinking about that for the, the week or two since then, and it's more curious every time I think about it. What are you congratulating her for? What's the congratulations? I mean, I I'm sure she's happy to be with her living husband. with her husband. But why is that cause for congratulations from the from the commissioner of the league? That's it was an interesting, very small window into her mindset. And I'm not saying she's doing anything wrong. She seems to be doing a lot of great things for the league, and so I'm, it's not a problem. But Portland, L.A. Who knows what other metropolitan area might be in the expansion horizon? Meanwhile, meanwhile, you've got the North Carolinas of the world and, and, and other smaller markets, maybe even Louisville, although they're new, but they were brought in before she got here. I just wonder whether that's going to be something, a divide that emerges over the next few years. And that, that little – that tweet was just the smallest of canaries in the coal mine of something that I, that's been nagging at me for a while. Well, see, I read, that, I read that a different way, and I'll explain that in a second. But I do laugh a little bit to hear you call Portland a metropolitan area. I mean, it's not like it's not a city, but no, when you but compare they're it – No, but enormously you... popular women's soccer organization. Right, right, right. They're the flagship of the league. Right. But I wouldn't, I would not at this point yet put them, put LA in their corner because to me right now, LA is what Orlando thought they could be, what Houston foolishly thought they could be, what Utah thought they were going to be. They all thought they they were going to be the next Portland, right? And LA historically, not that I'm not excited to see another team and to see a team in Southern California, right? Um, but we know that, that that market is so saturated with entertainment options, right? Um, yeah, but it, let, if I can interrupt real quick, it's, it's, I don't think the, the, for 
someone like Baird who came out of the marketing world, it's not about attendance. It's about sponsorship oh, and eyeballs. The visibility, yeah. It's media no, market, it's sponsorship dollars, it's it's getting where the where the corporations are. That's the goal. If you get five thousand a game, ten thousand, doesn't matter. It's about getting the to sponsorship dollars. Yeah, no, that's the, a really good point. Neil. About having more eyeballs on your te- on your television product, about getting better corporate sponsors in the in the larger expensive markets. That's where those marketing folks like to go. That's and, their game. And we've seen some mistakes along those lines in the past. Like I go back to WSA where they thought, oh, we have to have a team in New York. How can you not have a team in New York? It's like they couldn't they couldn't survive in New York. They couldn't even survive having their uh, league office in New York. It was just too expensive. But they were going to the mindset of like, but we have to be here, right? Where I, I think one of the smartest things that MLS did over the year was really start to break into those markets, you know, like Salt Lake, right? Like Portland, like, you know, and and even you know now we're seeing with right you know Charlotte and 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 other areas where it's like you're not the hugest media market, but because of that, because they're not so saturated, they're building these incredible um, soccer fan bases. I mean, like That's I was right. stunned. To, I was stunned to see Nashville open against Atlanta last March. What against sixty thousand fans? But anyway, my other point about Lisa saying about it, Crystal Dunn, because I re- I read that as something that I talked with Dan about last week of this attitude that like, shouldn't everybody be able to, you know, be in the same city as their husband? Cause isn't that great? And that nice. And, it, and it's like, I think that's a, it's a false narrative of, Hey, this is a hierarchy. It's professional sports. Some people are going to be able to do that. Not everybody is. It's great that Crystal can do that, but I hope it doesn't create any expectation that everybody should be able to get the trade they want to be with their spouse. And certainly not a congratulatory well wish from the commissioner. It's just odd to me. It's and, odd, you know, yeah. It's very odd. And let me and let me back up. Just let, you know, lest, lest anyone listen to this and think I'm banging on Lisa Baird. Look, her leadership has been tremendous throughout this year under the most trying of circumstances. I think the Challenge Cup was a success. Parlaying the CBS partnership. I mean, you know more about that than I do, but I I think it has yielded great dividends for this league in many regards on balance everything's great um but in the context of the question that you you asked me several minutes ago it just made me made me wonder about this this is what i've been talking about and by the way i used to cover d2 in the nesl they underwent the same thing you know, yeah you you can have hotbed fan bases in smaller markets, but at some point that league decided they wanted to try to transition to larger markets for that same reason, and it ended up biting them in the rear end because their competition, USL, you know, rushed into these unserved markets that nobody was going in, the NSL was ignoring, like Louisville, while... Well, the NESL kept wanting to open franchises in Atlanta and L.A., and they didn't work out. So I'm not saying the NWSL is going to fall the same way, but there is that, that as you pointed out, that yin and yang there. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, we're at such an interesting time. And of course, I feel like I've been saying that every year for the last seven years, but um, we are still in a very young part of the league. And I think it's easy for all of us, you know, been surrounded by sports growing up to look at NWSL and say, why don't we have this like Major League Baseball? Why don't we have this like the WNBA? It's like, and all of these groups are are much, much older. So I, I think that's why it's even more fascinating to follow NWSL um, especially now you, you think about it, we've had a commissioner now, right? For like seven yeah. months, we went a long time without a real commissioner, you know, so things are happening. I mean, getting the shop launched, you know, there's actually an online shop. We're actually having a broadcast of the expansion draft. There's trading cards, you know, um, there's expansion. Like this is the first year that we knew before the college draft in January that there would be expansion, right? So that the coaches could make their picks and trades based on that. Right. And it'll be the same, the same next year. And to have LA announced, you know, so early it's, it's, it's wonderful. But before we digress any further from the NWSL expansion draft and actually North Carolina courage, um, (laughs) let, you know, let me just say, you know, thank you for, for taking the time to, to share your insights, especially always have some good tidbits about, about the courage and, uh, you know, keep up the good work covering the team. Well, I'm happy to ever come on. And heck, I've been waiting to talk about this stuff for probably six months. I'm glad, I'm glad to finally be able to do it. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, just like last week, the upcoming NWSL expansion draft for Racing Louisville FC. It will be broadcast 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, November 12th, live on Twitch, wherever you are in the world. Um, You don't even have to subscribe to Twitch or sign up for Twitch. It's a free feed. So be sure to enjoy it. And shout out to uh, the Woso fan on Twitter for pointing out to me that I had inadvertently included uh, a rule from the previous expansion drafts when I did last week's Gensplainers. So let's go over this again. Okay, all clubs were allowed to protect 11 players of their current roster. That's why last week we saw a lot of contracts renewed, contracts offered, contracts extended, people being waived, so you'd know exactly who's on whose roster. Clubs are only allowed to protect up to two U.S. allocations, current U.S. allocations. You can see the list of who's been protected, who's been by club. You can also see the entire list of who's available for the expansion draft. If you go to the Woso Nerd Links page on KeeperNotes.com, one of my links is to my Google spreadsheet that has rosters by club with a lot of contract information. But the first tab is here are all the players that are available for the expansion draft, including players who clubs only hold onto their rights that they're not currently contracted, but they're players whose rights uh, those clubs hold. So all clubs protecting 11 players. Louisville cannot pick anything from Chicago due to the trade a few weeks back for Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill. So there's just eight clubs that Louisville will be picking from. They can pick up to two players per team. So they're looking at taking away 16 players total from the expansion draft Thursday. However, if they select a USA allocated player from any team, that's the only player that can be taken from that team. That also affects how much allocation money Louisville will receive from the league. So 
next Thursday, if Louisville chooses no U.S. allocation players, they will end up with 16 players and 150000 in allocation money. If they end up in the draft picking one U.S. allocated player, they'll end up having 15 players total from the draft and 75000 And if they choose two U.S. national team allocated players from the draft, they'll end up with 14 players and no allocation money. So they've got some decisions to make. And note that the clubs, if any clubs, um, lose U.S. allocated players, those clubs will each receive $75,000 in allocation funds. So I hope that's a nice, clear way to explain it. The rules and stuff are posted at NWSLsoccer.com. And of course, they will be explained again at the beginning of the broadcast on Twitch next Thursday. November 12th, starting 7 p.m. Eastern, and it will feature um, some of your favorite NWSL commentators from this summer. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with the woman who we can say was part of the first ever WOSO expansion draft in world history. And that would be Lori Lindsay, NWSL analyst extraordinaire. Lori, can you, can you, I mean, think about like how long it's been since that expansion draft back in 2009. (laughs) Listen, you're now you're dating me. So this is a fair, right off the bat. Okay, you were a teenager. Um, I, you were a teenager. <laughs> I I totally remember it. Um, and like, what an experience! And I think that's what makes this exciting. You could look at it a, t- a couple different ways um, and think like, okay, there's not like a ton of players. I mean, um, available in terms of like, it, it ranges, right? There's some like actually some some names that stick out right away, and then there's like my name and Abby Wambach's name, where it's like LOL, big time. And um, and then you obviously have some unpredictable players like an Ali Krieger and a um, Tobin Heath and Ashton Harris, right? So it's kind of like, what's going to happen? But um, with that said, I think it's really interesting time because as the league is growing and expanding, it really offers some wonderful opportunity for some of these players to get themselves a different look on a team, whether they've been starting a lot um, and they'll continue that, whether they weren't playing as much as they would like. Maybe they're ready to grow in a different way that this opportunity would give it to um, give it to them if they are chosen. So a lot of, I think, exciting stuff coming ahead. Now, how did you find out that you were selected? I mean, did Paul Riley call you? And I love that it was Paul Riley uh, doing the <laughs> for, for the Philadelphia Independents. But did, did, you know, because we didn't have, let's see, that was the first year of Twitter. So, but I don't think they were tweeting it. Did, I mean, did Paul call you? Did the league call you? Did your agent call you? How does that work? Um, yes, Paul had called me and so did Terry Foley. He was the general manager at the time for the Philadelphia Independent. And also, um, I had been playing with the majority of my career with the Washington Freedom at the time was their name and um, before they rebranded. And I wanted to go to Philly because it was Atlanta and Philly were the two teams that were the country teams to be able to get um, picks. And I really wanted to go to Philly, not it. And it wasn't anything against Atlanta. I just was wanted to stay close to DC where like my home base was. And I was really excited about what was going on with Philly. So we'd had some conversations prior to that as well. Um, and so, yes, they called me, but I also 
was fortunately in that regard, like had some say in what was happening and what was going on. So, and, and a lot of players honestly, don't <laughs> go ahead. What'd you say? A lot of, a lot of players don't get to have control. No, uh, no. And don't get me wrong. Like I, you're exactly right. And I felt extremely fortunate for that because I was like, yep, this is where I want to go. I really like what's going on. And to be able to have that kind of open dialogue and actually have that say, it was like fantastic. And, and great mentally wise yeah mentally wise is how I haven't been been doing I mean I haven't been doing commentating too much I was thinking too much see I'm stumbling all over my words but mentally wise it was like a big thing and then also um on the field was it was fantastic for me just like to re I just needed something new right so now how does a group of players who are all selected from other teams come together successfully. I mean, when you look back at WPS Philly in their first year, you know, expansion club made it all the way to the WPS final um, and then did so again the next year as well. You know, is it the coach? Is it the players? I mean, how, how do you get that group to come together? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, I think there was a, there's a lot to do um with it in in philly it was a unique group i mean we had we had some exceptional players i mean amy rodriguez um uh, denisha adams we had caroline sager who's an international we had uh, i mean nikki krizik um quite a few the d martino um there was just like a lot of like players that were ready for a change that was was able to find a mix. Heather Mitz, Karina LeBlanc, right? They were, were all of us were together, and yeah. um, so I think it was a, the mentality of Paul being his first time in the professional league, and obviously a lot of us are familiar with Paul and like the um, what he brings out in his players in terms of getting the best out of them. Um, that was very much the case um, in in that first inaugural season for the independents. But then also, I think it was just like a combination of players that did a good job of bringing in some um, some of us who had a lot of experience in the league, and um, which is the limited rosters. It was just like okay, actually, it was just time to move on to a different team, and then also kind of supplementing that with some really excellent international players as well. So it was it was a combination of you know, experience plus like a hardworking mentality, kind of like underdog, as we can all imagine. And also just like really good, great soccer players too, that like understood the game and wanted to buy into something bigger than themselves. And we dubbed ourselves like the bad news bears of the WPS and it worked. (laughs) And it was like quite funny and a lot of laughs and, um, yeah, it worked out really well. Now, if you were head coach of an NWSL expansion team, and and hey, I, I wouldn't rule that out, you know, for your future. Um, <laughs> what what kind of players would you be looking for in an expansion draft, both, you know, in terms of attitude, experience, skill set? I mean, how would you go about building a team? And I'm not talking specific players who are available, but like what kind of player would you be going after? Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, I would uh, like we are obviously know, or if some people are listening and they don't haven't seen the news that obviously Savannah McCaskill and Yugi Nagasato are from Chicago, who both have experience in the league, and I think those are, you know, beneficial for both sides. Chicago be able to protect their players, and then obviously for Louisville to be able to pick up those two quality players. 
But I think in this expansion draft, you go, if it was me, I would go with as much experience plus some, like, youthfulness and, like, solidify as much as I can on the defensive side in terms of getting a goalkeeper and in terms of solidifying my back line and maybe even, like, one other, like, potential, like, the best you can find kind of, like, defensive holding midfielder. And then – that's how I would go with it. And to na- like, do you want names? If I was this coach? Like, no, 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 I, no, I don't want okay. you to do names. I don't want you to do names, but just like yeah. how you would build a team. Like you're talking about like the, the defensive pieces, the experienced yeah. players. Um, and, and, and like what balance would, would you want to, Try, try to strike between youth and experience, right? I think I think that's always the challenge for a coach, even when it's not expansion. But I think it's even more important when you're building a team from scratch. Yeah, I would definitely, I would, I would try to get some sort of balance in there because I think you need to err on the side that, like, listen, you're not building just for this immediate future. You're building for the long term, right? But at the same time, to be able to be successful in the long term, you also need to start putting those building blocks together to do that and so I would look at the players that have like a decent amount of experience that are on the defensive side of the game that have a decent amount of experience that can be a leader that understand the physicality they understand the long haul they understand the mental side of the league and what it takes um, and then I would build around that the useful pieces that as much as you can players that are maybe you know even just had their first year this past year um, but had some minutes and got some experience in the Challenge Cup and in the Fall Series, or maybe it's their second year, and you can build in. And so they're continuing to just kind of like develop that side, but there's still that usefulness and longevity ahead of them. Um, but yeah, I would definitely start with the back and then build around that. Now, given that we're in such a weird time uh, due to COVID because of, you know, how it's affected travel and soccer scheduling, you know, say that, you know, your your choices of bringing in international players are, are pretty limited. So you can't do what Paul Riley was able to do in, in 2010 and, and bring in Vero Boquete, right? Um, yeah. You know, how do you compensate for not bringing it, being able to bring in a, a big international player? Yeah, I mean, I think the hope is that you can at least bring in one, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and then if you can't, then I would do the due diligence big time to see what you can work out behind the scenes to snag one or two allocated players from other teams um, that are on the attacking side that could help kind of mold um, around that. I would go, but still I would... And, and, and continue because especially like if, if we're looking specifically at Louisville right now, you have an Agasado, you have a Savannah McCaskill. They're both going to play in like more advanced attacking roles, build the base around them behind that, and then supplement with some of the players that you know that have like played at the highest level. And whether that's like hoping that you could snag and get a uh, national team international player over or do your due diligence, find the players that are uh, willing to make the move. Um, and you know, there might be one or two that aren't willing to make the move, but that's professional sports as well. So <laughs> if you want to play, you make the move. So, well, and, and then speaking of making the move, how much would you look at players that are from, say, say, if you were the Louisville head coach, how much would you look at players who have a Kentucky background or went to Louisville, the school or, or just in the area? I mean, would that, um, be some uh, an avenue that you would pursue 
Uh, absolutely. But I wouldn't pursue that as like the base. I would pursue that as filling out the roster and, mm-hmm. um, or potentially down the line, like making some trades that would benefit that. Or even if it's not in this first year, look to see if you can really start to establish some good relationships with Louisville playing in the ACC, um, other schools around the area. Can you build the relationships and then even, you know, as like an academy develops and homegrown and like just in general, the league starts to develop, then you can start to um, hone in on those players. But I would, I would really try first and foremost immediately to get as much of a solid base as you can just from the best players that you feel like fit the style of play that you want to play and, um, or that I would want to play. And then if those players happen to be from the local area, fantastic. If not, then that's that's on the back burner. And and similarly, like you know, how much do you, as a coach, rely on uh, you know the draft to help fill out that roster? I mean, again, I, I wouldn't expect anyone from the the draft to be suddenly coming in and being a starter, even if it's you know a, a national teamer, because that, that can be a big transition. Even considering now, when we know their minutes have been limited, like I'm looking at the the 2010 WPS draft, and it's funny. There's like clearly Paul Riley was not relying on the draft as most of the players listed don't even have a Wikipedia page, right? Like their name is in red instead of blue. There's no link. And, and I'm, I'm like, wow. So Philly didn't, didn't, didn't use the draft at all. Um, but no. what would you, what would you look for in a college player? I mean, how, how do you bring them into a group that hasn't established itself yet? Hasn't played a game yet? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be patient and, and, you make a good point because in 2010 for Philly, we didn't use the, um, the college draft. I think overall, um, I think if you look at like the statistics and like players have done well, the international players have done, have been more successful depending on where, you know, where they're coming from and a lot of different factors, but have been able to have played at a high level. So they understand at least the grind of the NWSL season, um, what it takes to win at that level. And quite honestly, as like a, in the college draft, it just takes some time to mature, regardless of like how, how good you are, what program you've played in. If you played on the national team, I mean, it still takes some time. It's a long season compared to a college season and the consistency that it takes to be successful game in and game out. And, and, and like just the level of play is fantastic. And we've seen it, how it can really neutralize depending on what position um, you're playing. And there'll probably be a lot of players that, um, or people in general that may like disagree with me, but it's quite honestly, it's easier to disrupt than it is to create. And so I would tend to use the college draft to go for some of the, um, a defensive player, depending on where I needed to round out my roster. Um, and then if I felt like there were some exceptional strikers available, obviously we saw Toby Smith was available, right? Ashley Sanchez, um, but even them, it was a shortened season, right? And you're starting to see glimpses, but still not like of world beaters yet, right? Maybe you could argue Sophie Smith and what she, but we only saw limited minutes from her. Um, so I would tend to probably err on the side of a defensive posture again from the college draft. Um, and then, um, and if there are some exceptional players, then bring them in, but have 
be patient and it takes time to create in the attack and it takes time to mesh with other strikers and understanding the little nuances and the capabilities. And so if I am going to pick somebody um, on the attacking side, then it would be like, okay, I don't expect you to score 10 goals for us this year. Right. If you do, wonderful (laughs) but like there is like an understanding that you can come in you can perform but it's going to take some time to get adjust to the level of like hey you're about to go play against the becky sarah run here right the world's best center back (laughs) so like right yeah different yeah well and Another special thing for Louisville they have to consider, um, you know, which Paul Riley didn't have to worry about in 2010 and, and Randy Waldrum didn't have to worry about when he was assembling the dash in 2014 is it, it's an Olympic year. Um, you know, any national teamer for the U.S. and several other countries uh, will be gone, uh, possibly a pretty big chunk of the season. So how do you balance that knowledge with what you're going after in terms of I want the best players possible? Yeah, I mean, these are all I love these questions. And that's what's so fun about these drafts is like trying to figure out and sort like what uh, makes the most sense for um, Louisville and their team and or if it was you know a team that I was coaching then you know so many moving parts um, but again that's when I think you try to find the balance of some of the youthfulness and the exuberance of like hey I haven't played in this league and you don't know what you don't know um, compared to like okay I actually have a really good understanding of this league um, I can lead this team with my experience with um my joy for this league and this, the understanding in general of what it takes as a professional athlete and the maturity. And so you, I would continue to build my team around that. And it would be, again, I would really focus on the defensive side of stuff because I think you can um, mold some players in that position a lot quicker and then, um, and then start to round out some of the pieces and see if you can find some hidden gems. I mean, listen, this is what's exciting about the, the expansion draft too is that like if if it's done correctly and it fits then players i mean we've seen it we saw it we've seen it this year right houston dash perfect example christy muis shea groom revitalizing their careers by staying healthy wanting to play in houston finding a home that like excites them and a team that excites them and Quite honestly, they're totally different players than we've seen them in this entire league with any other team. And that could be, we could see that with two or three players coming into Louisville, depending on who they are, even if they have experience, even if they only have a few years underneath their belt. Um, and I think that's what I'm really curious about Ben and McCaskill in particular. Yuki's getting on the older side, so and we've seen her do some really great things. But with Samantha McCaskill, is this the home that's going to like kind of like ignite her in the capabilities that we all know that she has um, to that other, that next level? So I think that answered your question. Um, <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. <laughs> Let's talk about the fall series. I mean, like, which players do you think you know really upped their game and and showed either that they should be protected by their current club or that maybe now they had trade value or um, are, are players that may be high on Christy Hawley's list. Cause you're like, wow, you know, and, and of course you can factor in challenge cup too, but like who really stood out for you in the fall series? Yeah. That is, know, it, you know, it, that is available. That is. Yeah. Um, 
you know, one, like just kind of like thinking about the list that's available too. Um, you know, Addison Merrick, her first year at North Carolina, fantastic job. She's available. Um, Lauren Malay for North Carolina. I mean, obviously her second year in the league, um, I think showed some really bright spots of being able to play an attacking midfield role, also a defensive midfield role that we saw the last few games. Um, another one that I feel like uh, Christy Holly would be taking a good look at is Allie Prysock for uh, the Houston Dash. Um, you know, with her ability, with how well Houston's done and with Megan Oyster going out with a rib injury, Right. Price coming in and like stepping in and playing value men. Those are the players that I'm talking about specifically in Alec Price is a great example of like, okay, you've been in the league, you've um should proven that you can play in this league, you still have a high ceiling to go in terms of improvement and getting even more experience, but you have that base of understanding of what it takes to win, what it takes to play in this league, and that would be a great addition um to a Louisville team right off the bat. So uh, those are a few players um, that I, that come to mind. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that would, would stick out for me that is available. Well, um, last, last question for you yeah. as, as, as perhaps you ponder that, like, would you um, use all the picks available or would you maybe say, no, this is good enough. I don't want players that I might not, end up using or I don't think will fit my my team philosophy um, I think I would go in um, with the understanding that I'm going to use every pick um, you know unless um, something comes comes up where it's like actually um, you know anything could happen at any point in time yeah yeah, we, we've still got several days for the draft, so who knows, like, what trades might happen. Well, exactly, and that's where that's where my mind is going, is like, okay, there could be trades that happen. So I think you prepare 100% to go with, um, to, to fill out your roster, take the 16 players, um, and also um, with the understanding that, like, you're also continuing to look for those players. There's a college draft that's coming as well. You're looking for international players. Um, you might pick players to be able to also trade in bulk. Um, and so it, so I think it really depends on like a little bit of a number of different factors too. Do you take the allocated players that you want or do you take the money for trade value later? But yes, I think you go in and you prepare always to take the most every player that you can um, to round out your roster, at least for also for training numbers too, going in and competition. And then you start to pare down when you have a better idea of like what's rounding out your roster and um, who's available and, and what it's looking like. Now, doesn't it just make you so happy that, that here we are on, on the verge of the ninth year of NWSL and, you know, you're one of the few people who played in all three pro leagues in this country, WSA, WPS and now NWSL. I mean, it, and I'm sure some of my listeners may get sick of me saying stuff like this, but it's like, I'm sorry, this is just too satisfying for me. And it, it will never get old that it's like, we're still going and we're adding team number 10 and we have team number 11 on the horizon. And, you know, like maybe there's one step back for every two or three steps forward, but it's, you know, it's so satisfying. But for you as a player, as someone who's, you know, done the real 
you know, grind and sweat literally for, for this league. I mean, what does it feel like for you? Oh, it's, it's exciting. I'm excited for the players. I think, you know, um, it's not always, um, easy to, if you're one of the players that was unprotected, right. That's not always, um, uh, a lovely feeling, but to, to think that there's a, another option on the horizon, that there's more teams coming in, the competition of the league continues to get better. I mean, there's just, it's, it's so fun because, I mean, I loved my experiences, obviously playing, um, and but to see how the elevation of the women's game continues is just phenomenal. It's, I love being a part of it. I love calling the games, and I think it's only going to continue to get better, especially as the standards are set even higher um, and going forward. And it'll be exciting to see how Louisville. Um, can compete. You know, it's, it's been fun because I also work with Nashville SC and the MLS as an analyst and for them to be an expansion team and they've already made the playoffs. They knew they were going to make the playoffs with three games left to go. And nice. they're one of the very, yeah. And they're one of the very, you know, a lot of times expansion teams go one way or another, which is like, Hey, we're not going to spend much money. Um, or we're going to spend a ton of money and get all these um, DPs, right. Designated players. And like, we're going to go after some big names. And Nashville built their their roster around players that had experience in the league to bring players in that proven themselves, and it's been phenomenal. And, you know, there's been some ups and downs. Like, some people wouldn't be say it was the most exciting soccer that anybody's ever seen, but, again, the tacking side of stuff, like, takes time. And it's it's been really a phenomenal progression of the team and where it started and such a difficult team to play against. And it's... it's it's been fun to witness that. So I'd expect some similar things from a Louisville side as well. And and I would think, you know, for any of the current NWSL players who may be frustrated that, you know, they didn't earn a, a contract after having a short-term contract this fall or haven't seen as many minutes as they wanted. Like, I, I feel like they should all get, get the big loud message. Like it's coming, right? Like we're just about to have another 26 contracts at the end of, Next year, we'll have another 26, possibly another 52. Like, like, be patient. It's coming. Just keep working your ass off. It's coming, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the name of the game. I mean, it's really, it really comes down to, um, like, just managing the highs and lows, like not getting too high, not getting too low, just almost riding the wave. And it sounds kind of cliche or in some ways like, what? But, like, it's true. Like, if you... <laughs> If you're just if you're getting too tight or too low all the time, well, it's going to be a long road for professional sports because there's a lot of ups and downs. So it's really just about going with it, um, finding your way, and then like when you get opportunities, take them. It's it's like really, I think it's the same as coaches too, and it's not talked about as much. But sometimes with, with coaches, you just need a fresh start, you need a new environment, and um, and then be able to take it and see with players. You need to be able to move on, um, freshen up your atmosphere and uh, training sessions and, you know, just even just like the location of where you are. And it could really revitalize your career. And for some players, it'll be like the start of something, right, too. So, yeah, yeah. And that's what it makes it so exciting. And, you know, I, I feel for all the players who just have to sit there and watch the broadcast next Thursday and see what it means for the future of their careers. But it's <laughs> it, it's exciting. And and Lori, can't thank you enough for all the work you've done this year, uh, calling the games and, of course, taking the time to talk expansion with me for the podcast. 
Oh my goodness, it's it's my pleasure. I love calling the games. As I said, it's always fun working with you, Jen. And um, no one gives you enough credit for all the the work you do behind the scenes. So thank you. You make our our lives and jobs so much easier. And thanks for having me on. This has been great. And anytime you make a mistake, it's not my fault, right? <laughs> okay, perfect. I'll make sure that it's, I get that on there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always Mike Watts's fault or Jen Hilder's fault, but it's not my fault. Anyway, <laughs> perfect, perfect. time to wrap it up with the back four first and foremost as i've talked about all episode and it was sell expansion draft for racing louisville fc coming up next thursday november 12th you can watch from anywhere in the world live on twitch at 7 p.m eastern um if you want to prep for it uh so you know who's available and who's not all that stuff you can read the rules at nwslsoccer.com you can also check out keepernotes.com click on woso nerd links and you can find the google sheet that has all the players by club who's protected who's not and there's one page that's all the unprotected players all together Next, we actually have some more live women's soccer coming up. Um, We have the ACC Women's Soccer Championship Tournament, as well as the SEC Women's Soccer Championship Tournament. Um, You know, those are two of the few conferences that played this fall, though somewhat of a limited schedule, and they are having their championship tournaments. Um, SEC will be all on the SEC network. ACC will be all on the ACC network, except for its final will be on ESPNU. And I've posted the schedule for both of those tournaments on my WOSO Google Calendar, which is also linked at keepernotes.com at the WOSO Nerd Links page. Um, Definitely worth looking into. I think if you have Hulu, you can get the ACC network. Um, ESPN Plus might offer some of these depending on what your cable has. definitely worth looking into how to watch these games. A lot of these players are players who will likely be part of next year's NWSL college draft. Um, And you never know when players are going to leave college early too. So definitely uh, worth checking out those two tournaments. And we do have the official announcement from NCAA that the women's college cup, they will do a national tournament with the final four being in one place. It will be in May in Cary, North Carolina at Wake Med Park. Um, It'll be a smaller tournament than before, uh, but they will, they will have that tournament next May. And then we're hearing that there's a chance, a small chance, that there could be a U.S. Women's National Team game in late November. Um, If you want to read more about it, check out the article uh, where they interviewed Kate Margraff, the general manager of the U.S. Women's National Team, about all the planning they've done, what they're looking into. They hope to have a game, but of course, there's a lot of challenges in in the way. Um, Definitely worth looking into. And last but not least, of course, I've mentioned it a million times already, but the Woso Nerd Links page on KeeperNotes.com, definitely a page you want to bookmark. And note um, that I've updated 
the almanac links on that page. I now have a print version of the Challenge Cup kind of Houston Dash commemorative recap booklet that's available for purchase in both print and PDF. Uh, there are still a Houston Dash almanacs to buy. That's for the 2014 through 2019 seasons. If you buy the print version of the regular Dash almanac, you get the Challenge Cup PDF for free. Also, I'm now taking pre-orders for this year's edition of the full NWSL Almanac, which will have all the data from the previous seven seasons, plus 2020 Challenge Cup, plus 2020 Fall Series, plus the Louisville Expansion Draft. So be sure to check that out. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixo Women Soccer Podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening, sharing, subscribing, liking, tweeting at me, especially when there's an error. I love that uh, people will share that information. And of course, want to give a shout out uh, to Icarus FC for their sponsorship. If you're tired of same old uniforms and same old templates from Nike and Adidas and you want a completely custom kit for your women's rec team, your Sunday indoor squad, check out IcarusFC.com. And as always, many thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast and to my producer, Sean, for putting it all together. But now she's everybody's good.